I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs are proud to present the Marauder's Map. If you succeed tonight, more than one innocent life may be spared. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We're covering chapter 16, Professor Trelawney's prediction. So, you know, this is going to be a big episode. Uh, We've had a lot of inflammatory Trelawney talk so far. We have Elizabeth back with us. Hi guys. Thank you for that. Uh, Yeah, so this will be an interesting kind of episode. we will get into Professor Trelawney a lot, but uh, first we kind of get introduced with exams mm-hmm. and the idea of the exams. My I favorite just, part of the year. I just want to mention the casual nature to which they speak of a giant squid swimming in the lake. <laughs> that would freak me out. I don't care how familiar I am with the squid or how nice it seems to be. That would freak me out. Anyway, uh, so we get introduced to what the wizarding exams truly are. I like the abbreviations for them. I think they're funny. I like one. I'm not super thrilled with the other. The OWLs, I like a lot. Mm -hmm. Ordinary wizarding levels. That sounds appropriate. That sounds pretty correct. And it happens to have a nice, fun, wizard-themed abbreviation. That's great. (laughs) The second one bothers me a little bit, just because it seems like you're reaching a bit. It seems like you're really trying to hit an acronym here. <laughs> when you get the nastily exhausting wizarding tests. Also known as newts. Newts. I like how it's actively named like that. I wish, I hate standardized tests. I wish the standardized tests had that accurate description. I feel like the kids would enjoy that as well. They already make up their own abbreviations for it, <laughs> I'm so... sure they do. <laughs> These are interesting tests. It comes after uh, the fifth and seventh years. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, that newt level is kind of like an extra certification, if you will. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. So you have the twins. You have Fred and George prepa- uh, preparing for the OWLs. Which I think as far as, like, even Fred and George were spotted studying... <laughs> It does happen on occasion. (laughs) Even they felt the pressure. I'm sure Molly sent them a harsh reminder of like, (laughs) don't screw this up. And uh, you have Percy uh, preparing for the newts, which is... Now, this is a big deal for Percy. Right. He wants to get into the Ministry of Magic. Yeah. And so he needs good marks on every newt level course that he's taking. Mm -hmm. So it's a big deal um, as... Elizabeth mentioned, even the twins are studying for it. So you know it's big. We get a glimpse as to Hermione's exam schedule, which Harry and Ron have laid off the schedule concerns until they see the exam schedule and they can't help themselves but be like, how are you going to do that? Well, because she's got two exams at nine and then two at one all on Monday. That's, That's so much. And impossible. What we're glimpsed at here is these seem to be practical exams, mm-hmm. not written, mm-hmm. which I feel is interesting. We have um, Malfoy getting over the 
sadness of losing the, the Quidditch uh, final by poking fun at Hagrid and poking fun at Buckbeak. The trio decide we got to be there for the appeal. We need to help. Mm-hmm. I mean, because Hagrid's their friend and he needs the emotional support. Except Harry can't. Technically. <laughs> the, technically, they Not all. Supposed technically, to. all three can't. But particularly, Harry shouldn't be leaving the grounds at night right. or in the evening. So he has Ron and Hermione, uh, or he has Hermione go fetch his cloak, which is still at the bottom of the, the passageway. Which I don't know about you, but it would freak me out to have that important of a possession. Sure. Just lingering about the school. As Julie and I have said many a time, things you shouldn't just casually like leave. I know, and I understand yeah. him not wanting to go near it just because of Snape sees he's going to automatically get him into serious trouble but it's like you have other friends they could he could have gotten Hermione to get it from her ages ago to be fair they haven't been on the best terms yeah or he could have gotten Ron to do it maybe he doesn't trust Ron to go get it I don't know I mean maybe he thinks I mean Snape was there like if Snape saw Ron going near maybe he'd be a little bit more suspicious yeah but Hermione could sure so, uh, we, um, the final exams. Mm-hmm. We, we need to talk about the final exams. Because we get a glimpse into each class's final exam, and they're really interesting. For all being practical, uh, you get, can we talk about the transfiguration exam and the mistakes that some of the kids made? Yeah, they're supposed to turn a teapot into a tortoise, and... Hermione irritated everyone because she's like, oh, no, my tortoise looked like a turtle. But everyone else was saying how, you know, mine still had a sprout spout for a tail or it was breathing steam or it had a willow patterned shell. My question is, was that the only thing that they had to do for this exam? That one task? But it seems like all of the exams seemingly only had one task. Yeah, which is why I was like, how I feel about these exams. I mean, the care of magical creatures, they just had to keep the flower worms alive because clearly Haggard's heart is not in it right now, and understandably so. Flitwick tests them on the cheering charms. Potions makes me laugh because he made them do the confusing concoction, which Harry was confused by and potentially got a zero on. Astronomy, they had up at midnight on the tallest tower. History magic, he said he scribbled down stuff about medieval witch hunts. And then defense against the dark arts was the whole, like, you know, obstacle course kind of a thing. But it just seems to me like it's just one task for each exam to cover everything from the year. And that just seems strange to me that they didn't have to do more magic than just the one thing. I have some thoughts on those. So, I agree with you, Hagrid seems to have, well, since the Buckbeak incident at the beginning of the year, has mm-hmm. seemed to shut it down mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as trying things. Um, he went from one extreme to the other. Yeah. The, the transfiguration thing makes sense. I don't, I don't know the intricacies of transfiguration. Maybe it's combining different elements of transfiguration <laughs> that you learn throughout the year and putting it together for this. But, like, I don't know. charms. I mean, like, charms 
Clearly, they learned more than one charm all year. Absolutely. That just happens to be the most recent one. Cheering charms I want to get to for a second, though. Mm -hmm. If we could pause on cheering charms. Mm -hmm. The description that we get of them is literally you make the individual happy. Almost giddy. cheerful. Like giddy if you cheering over, charms, cheerful. Do it, yeah. So we've talked at length on this podcast about therapy for individuals. Mm-hmm. And for whatever, depression, anxiety, stress, what have you. Do you think cheering charms are a form of like temporary like medication, if you will, for lack of a better term, but in the wizarding world? No. What's it for, then? I think... Just to make someone randomly happy? I'm immediately thinking about Umbrella Academy, the TV show. If you're not familiar with the show, it's a family of, um, you know, siblings who have some type of superpower, and they're very dysfunctional. It's fantastic. It's on Netflix. Um, One of the characters has the power to rumor... Um, people and and make them do whatever she says so for example it could be like i heard a rumor that you were happy and then suddenly you are happy and that's where my brain's going with these cheering charms if it's a forced happiness but a fake happiness that is similar to putting a jinx on someone like you but know, you're thinking of it more of a nefarious yeah kind of that's yeah, interesting like it, that's it, a it, weird it does not a weird take, but it's an interesting take. It for, just it seems to me as like a Well, we took two very different viewpoints on this. <laughs> like I could see it as being like, yeah, sure, it makes somebody happy, but I could just see if someone was depressed and then given a cheering charm, that's just like it's it's not solving it it's not getting to the root of the problem it's just like putting a band-aid on something and and being like okay move on sure but i'm not saying it's like a replacement for therapy i'm saying it's like so if you have like real problem like problems that require more than just like talking it through right and like instead of going to a psychologist or a counselor right you're going to a psychiatrist for like an actual like medication type thing, which doesn't fix the issue either, right. but it temporarily no. like. I think I I just you know what get I'm more of a like if I'm depressed and I'm told have a t- have a cheering charm. To me, that comes across like those memes that are like you don't need medication for depression. You need to go outside, exercise, eat better. Like yes, those are things that could help it. But they're not... I'm viewing it as a way to take the edge off. Like, if you're having real problems... That makes me think then more of, like, like drugs. That, like, that's what like, I said. But like, like, you're going but to... But I'm like, thinking, like, <laughs> illegal drugs. Not no, 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 no. like, prescription drugs. What do you think? Like, antidepressants. What do you think those are? Is right. something to take an edge off? Right. I'm not saying that's the answer by any means. Or that they're good or that they're bad or whatever. That's not my purview. But I'm, I just get the feeling like it could be used as a form of treatment for people that are not doing well. I just see it as, as more of a like, you know, if I'm depressed and I'm given a cheering charm and now I'm happy, I know it's a false happiness. I know it comes from You won't know that until charm. it wears off. 
But I feel like you do. Because when they were studying those cheering charms, I mean, it, Harry said how, who was it? One of them overdid it. And yeah, Ron, who was, Harry slightly overdid his out of nerves. Ron, who partnered him, ended up in fits of hysterical laughter, had to be led away to a quiet room for an hour before he was ready to perform the charm himself. I'm just imagining it being similar to like a jinx. Like say like the full body bend, bind, right? Like you are paralyzed there and you're aware of you're it. You're taking much more nefarious. Yeah, uh, you're you're aware of it and you know like I can't do anything about it until it's done or removed here's, from me. Here's the difference between those, I think. Mm-hmm. The jinx you just mentioned is a specific thing to disable you. Mm-hmm. The cheering charm, if done well and done appropriately, like the full body bind, if you do that well and do that appropriately, the person is disabled. Right. If you do the cheering charm well, the person is just happy. If you screw it up, yes, they become disabled from their hysterical nature, but I guess in I its d- intended state. <laughs> I just have problems, I think, with forcing happiness on somebody. Because to me, that seems just as nefarious as forcing pain on somebody i think we're talking to the same let let them feel what they want to feel we're talking to the same point as what's the purpose here Mm -hmm. what's the intended purpose i have a hard time believing flitwick is teaching something in a third year level class for a nefarious result well i mean any any charm any any of this stuff i mean remember when i was talking about the polyjuice potion like, that's that not a third go... year level thing though i know well, yeah that's true <laughs> but like in general like it seems like a lot of magic if, if <clears throat> in the wrong hands you know can be used very dangerously against them and i could see i could see the perks of having a cheering charm but i'm also thinking again about umbrella academy one of the that character uses it on a little girl is like stop crying cheer up like, that kind of thing, to me, would be, like, you are taking away that human's, like, ability to feel what they want to feel and control of themselves. It just, it seems weird to me. Don't get me wrong. I get what you're saying. Uh-huh. I do. The problem with that is you could, like you said, you could apply that to any type of magic across the board. You're forcing know. something that's to choose like, somebody. That's what I'm wondering, like, where this... Well, like like you said, where does this come into play? I, I could see it being used with mental health. Like, then you're just disbarring the whole... Like, transfiguration is an awful thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It, it's, and that's a whole subject, is you're turning something into something else against its will. <laughs> I get... I just... I took it in a darker way than you did. Yes, you did. <laughs> I don't know. You, you guys let us know. <laughs> what do you think of cheering charms? Uh, give us some feedback. Uh, that was a more intense discussion than I thought we were going to have on cheering terms. Uh, let us know what you guys think. Um, I do want to get to some of the other classes. Uh, the Defense Against the Dark Arts. The Defense Against the Dark Arts one is... Yes. That's interesting. I Here's my thing on the class. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most effective final. Because to your point at the start of this... It covers more than one little thing. It covers more than one thing that <laughs> you have clearly learned throughout the year. Right. I'll give Lupin that. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing with Lupin's lessons. And I get that this is the the nature of Defense Against the Dark Arts. To be fair, that is literally what it is. Mm-hmm. But Lupin's lessons have a real fine line of 
it can go well, and it usually does, to Lupin's credit. Mm-hmm. But these are lessons and classes and a final that can go very badly. Like, yeah. Ron let, uh, I believe, a hinky punk get him, like, waist deep in, like, some quicksand type thing. Yeah. Like, we learn through Lupin's lessons that, like, red caps kill people. <laughs> hinky punks kill people. That's what they do. That's their nature. And you're you're literally intentionally putting kids in a dangerous situation. Which is Hogwarts motto. <laughs> I get it. And I get that Lupin's lessons all go well and everything's happy and everything's fine. But they can go very wrong. Yeah. I mean, I suppose that's also why he does one at a time. So he could really be focusing. Like, I could see him just strolling along on the outside of this obstacle course. And checking. And He puts know. him in a cabinet with a... Bogger. <laughs> no, it's an old, well, yeah, old, an old trunk. Climb into an old trunk yeah. and battle with it. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I mean, he's still on hand. It just gets me with Lupin about, like, his his lessons, draw. they run a very fine line. They can go very, very well, and they can go very, very wrong. But, I, you know, that's the magic of Lupin, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Hermione does perfectly until the Bogart, Bogart. How do we say it? I said boggart, but it, oh, yeah, the, right. the pronunciation is up in the air. Yeah, Hermione's though, I love to see the visualization of the fear of failure. Her boggart is McGonagall. Saying that she's failed everything. Kind of. <laughs> it's yeah. McGonagall, kind of. Um, which is interesting. Well, because I mean, like in that chapter, you guys had talked about how, I forget who was your guest at the time, but you guys talked about like, how do you visualize something that's not like... Julie, Julie talked about that. Yeah, like how not just like, you know, a spider is easy to picture or a banshee or whatever, but something that's not tangible, like, you know, being abandoned or failing or never being loved or like being those out in the things. ocean or like yeah like those something. types of things yeah. like how do you visualize it and me i am definitely one of the people who feel fear um failure and feeling stupid so like having this visualization of it it was like for me for for young elizabeth when she first read this book it was like oh that's how it's to comes be across to be fair to hermione that's perfect timing for this particular issue because yes. she's just done final exams. She hasn't and necessarily gotten grades yet. she's had more exams than anybody else. And she's she hasn't gotten things. grades back yet. Yeah. So if she sees McGonagall and she says, oh, you failed this. Yeah. That hits deeper because it could, you can't logic yourself out of that. That could be real. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, that's an interesting timing and the whole thing was an interesting <laughs> use. Um, as they're coming away from Lupin's, that's where they see Fudge. And he says he's here for, you know, the hippogriff situation. And they see the executioner. And Ron is like, you might not have an execution. They got the axe ready. This isn't justice. And Hermione's like, you know, your dad works for the ministry. You can't just go saying things like that to his boss. Like, you could get your father in trouble. And... You know, as as long as we argue the case well, then they can't possibly execute Buffy. Da, da, da. And Harry's like, oh, I, he can tell that Hermione doesn't believe what she's saying. 
And I think this this is one of those times when you're young and you're reading this and you're still experiencing the world that you're faced with the fact that justice doesn't always prevail. You know, like there are some unjust things that occur in the world and even if all evidence points to like it should go this way, but it doesn't always. Things don't always, things aren't always black and white. Things aren't always good versus evil, but it's still worth fighting for. So there's a lot going on with this Buckbeak case. Mm -hmm. Yes, you have, <laughs> you're, you're led to believe in this book. Malfoy's putting pressure, Malfoy's putting pressure, Malfoy's essentially, Lucius is essentially controlling this entire thing. Right. Everyone's in this book. And I'm not saying that's not true. I am very much not saying that. <laughs> but from the outside looking in, hippogriffs are large, aggressive <laughs> animals that have been known to do damage to if witches and wizards. you them. Still. And I love that Hermione and Ron are looking up all these cases of hippogriff uh, law. Well, guess what? There's all of these examples of hippogriff law because they've been involved in a lot of law cases. <laughs> so if you're looking at it, and I get the 13-year-old the logic of like, we'll do this. That's mm. great. You're not lawyers. You're not like, you don't really know the intricacies of this stuff. But for them, just seeing the fact that there's an executioner there who's <laughs> now, yeah. literally sure, 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 stroking sure, sure. his axe like this is the best thing ever. Sure. Bringing the executioner to the appeal is <laughs> ridiculous in every every possible way. Mm -hmm. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, then they go to divination and that is before, the final. Before we go on there, I just I, to lighten the mood on the injustice of it all. Yeah. The thing that stuck out to me about that interaction was their observations of so old he is withering before our eyes. Great description. <laughs> and then the second one, tall, strapping, with a black and thin uh, with a black thin mustache. And I'm like, Zora? <laughs> Why did you come? <laughs> Why are you here, Zora? Uh, I hope when I'm old. 13-year-olds do not look at me and tell me how I appear to be withering before their eyes. I will be. I will still be working at that point. <laughs> I will be told that. But no, those were my two takeaways. Okay, now we can go <laughs> to uh, Trelawney's final. I will say I enjoy how, like... Okay, so obviously her final is look into the crystal ball. Mm -hmm. Like she said she was going to do. And see what you can see. Yes. And poor Neville is trying to cram before the final. And he's like, does anyone see anything in the balls? They're like, nah. <laughs> no one's done it. So it's just kind of like, okay, well. This goes, back to, my, this goes back to my practical exam thing. Mm -hmm. To Trelawney's credit, all of the professors have done practical exams. Right. None of them have done written. Right. So, well, other than... Uh, History of magic, but like, how else could you do it? Right. <laughs> but other than that one, nobody else has done a written exam that we are aware of. Right. So even though Trelawney is aware, and as she says at the very beginning of her very first lesson, like, you either have this or you don't. Right. I feel like a practical lesson is a disaster waiting to happen. You know, you just gave me an idea. Like, if I were to approach these exams, since... I mean, like, I understand, like, Lupin's had the best covering the whole year. But if you wanted it to be 
Okay, so let's say transfiguration. Like as long as there's a certain level of difficulty and there's, you could give choices is what I'm, is what I'm trying to say very badly. But like if there, if there was like with, with divination of, okay, you, you could either try seeing in the crystal ball or the tea leaves. I'd make it simpler. You pick which one you want to do. I'd make it even simpler than that. If your charms or transfiguration or defense against the dark arts, mm -hmm. you have a written and a practical. 50-50. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. that's fair and doable. Divination, if you have to have a practical and a written, I would do a practical and a written and I would curve it. I would have like 75% of the test count for written. Okay. And like 25 for... For the practical part. Or some percentage thereof because if I'm Trelawney and I'm looking at this, I know that most, if not all, will get for better, like a zero on the practical. Because they're not seers. Because they should probably get a zero right. on the practical. So I would weight it Which also makes me wonder, yeah, because like with how she grades it now, like how do you grade this? How Are you supposed to wait to see if the prediction comes true and then be like, okay, A plus to you and not for everyone else? You know? Like, I'm assuming she does it. Thing. To her fault, but honestly, I other than how I literally just explained it, mm -hmm. I don't see her grading it any other way of just like, are you actually showing me that you have at least tried to grasp this subject? Mm -hmm. Are you making some sort of actual effort? Mm -hmm. Are you taking this somewhat seriously? And that's a subjective way of doing it, right. and it's a terrible way of doing it. Right. I but also other than that, I don't know how you would do this i think her way of grading it tends to be more of which possibly is the bias of seeing it through harry's eyes but the more um gruesome it is the more horrific it is the more interested she's in on it and then the better grade you get I, I will say this and as an english teacher you'll i think i've probably told you this story i think i've told you this story okay but let's be real about it for just a second. When we were in school, and I can point to one teacher particularly that I remember doing this for. He was an English teacher. It was my Brit Lit class, my okay. senior year. And he gave us this assignment. And we figured out at some point. Oh, I do know this story. Yeah. That if we wrote about like something nerdy, let's say, mm -hmm. he would grade up for it. Mm -hmm. Didn't necessarily have to be better than someone else's, mm -hmm. but the, just the topic matter alone would boost my grade a little bit. So we leaned into it, and we started doing that, and we leaned towards that teacher's preferences, and we got better grades for it. It was funny. It's not an unreal thing. I've done that, too, in, in college. I had an English professor who... Well, let's just say that she was more interested in uh, stories that got a little more X-rated. Which was interesting. And so if you wrote your papers, you always made to bring up that certain topic and feminist ideas. She was also very, would push those. So you do that too. But I don't know. I, just, I think like her way of looking into it. Obviously I, Trelawney's version is exaggerated from what we're saying. Right. But it's also a book. <laughs> so kind of well, has to be. Well, I just think it's funny like with Harry's, he says hippogriff and she's like "Ooh, okay well 
You know, does he appear to have his head? No shadowy figure raising an axe behind it, writhing on the ground, no blood, no weeping haggard. And he's just like, no, it's it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> oh, okay. Guess you did your best. Like, she clearly wants the drama. And that's been her thing that's this entire season. Also, I mean, let's be real. If we're predicting what's about to happen to that hippogriff. It's more accurate. But then that, that makes me wonder, like, okay, well, how is the, um, how is she going to grade it? Is she going to wait to see until the end of the day? Does Buckbeak live or die? No, I think maybe. I mean, she could do that, I guess. But if I were her, I would probably, that's not a zero. I'd probably give it a barely passing. <laughs> that's probably how I'd grade it if I were her. Yeah. Clearly you weren't doing it, but I give you props for at least, like, trying to put a, po- like, a real, like, spin on it. Yeah. Like, a real possible thing. Which but, is, anyway. at least Harry did that. I think Ron didn't. He said he just made stuff up. Which he can see through that. Right. Which, at least <clears> Harry's, <throat> it's related to something that's going on right now. But I do like her telling everybody, you know, don't tell anybody else what you saw, because bad things will happen. So we're running long, but we still have to get to the actual title of this chapter, which is... Her prediction! Professor Trelawney's prediction. I will say I do enjoy the plot device of having Trelawney suddenly go out of alphabetical order in terms of seeing the students so that Harry can be the last one to see, because Ron went before, Weasley went before Potter in this case. I'm just going to throw this bomb into here, and I'm just going to throw it and watch whatever comes out of it. Mm-hmm. What if, when she saw that she had to do crystal ball reading, Harry had to be the last one? I highly doubt that. What if she did look in a crystal ball and was like, I have to do a crystal ball reading for the final, and Harry has to come last? You don't know why, you don't know for what reason, but you've seen that that has to happen. As a teacher, I would say... Keep it in alphabetical order. It makes it easier to grade. <laughs> but if the world is telling you, no, 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 it has to be this way. Do it this way. Uh-huh. You have to do it that way. Not necessarily. Then everything, then everything goes wrong. <laughs> then this prediction doesn't get made. I'm, I'm throwing the bomb out there of like, maybe she really wasn't lying I... to Hermione's dismay. <laughs> and this is the way it had to be. I think this is just J.K. Rowling making it so that Harry's last. <laughs> Hence me saying it's the plot device. There's, which I enjoy. So you're you're I get the plot device thing. You're trying to just make it make sense. There's you're telling you're looking me in the eye right now and saying that there is zero percent chance that that's a possibility. Zero percent. One percent. Oh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. All right. Do you want to know what the actual prediction is? Yes, let's though? get to the actual prediction. So I, I do like with the whole, when she goes into prophecy mode, she has a loud, harsh voice. She goes rigid in her chair. Her eyes are unfocused. Her mouth sags. And Harry says it looks like she's having like a seizure, uh, which I thought was interesting. But she says it will happen tonight. The Dark Lord lies alone and friendless, abandoned by his followers. His servant has been chained these 12 years. Tonight, before midnight, the servant will break free and set out to rejoin his master. The Dark Lord will rise again with his servant's aid, greater and more terrible than ever he was. Tonight, before midnight, the servant will set out to rejoin his master. And then her head 
slumps forward and she comes out of it and she's like, whoo, the heat of the day, I drifted off. No idea of what she just said. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how that works. We've gotten the right. glimpse of what a true seer and a true prediction looks like. Looks like. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> so, and it clearly, as you mentioned with the description, it's mm -hmm. a hard change. Mm -hmm. There's no mistaking that. There's no going around it. It's a hard shift in character and personality. Mm -hmm. No mistaking what's going on. This is... But, of course, Harry is like... Harry doesn't know what's going on. I don't know. Because he's like, you know, was that a real prediction? Or was that just her idea of an impressive end to a test? And this kind of goes back to the whole, like, if she hadn't spent all year trying to impress them, then Harry wouldn't be thinking, oh, maybe she's just being impressive still, or she's being weird. I mean, she's always weird, so maybe it's just weirdness, but maybe it's a prediction. Who knows? That's Harry being particularly obtuse, to use a word there. <laughs> I think this is a clear... Do you think? Yeah, this is clearly... <laughs> A, he has spent a whole year with this lady. Right. Never once has she ever gone into this different type of trance. Right. Clearly. Well, yeah, clearly. Something and, is And when different. he says, he tells her exactly what... And this is specifics. She, he tells her exactly what she just said. She's like, I wouldn't predict anything that far-fetched. Like, So, yeah, I mean, like, there's a little bit of a doubt, but I do enjoy he goes over to Ron and Hermione to tell them what just happened. And because there's the news that Buckbeak lost... That becomes the focus, and they never go back to the whole Trelawney prediction, which once again, like, like this is one of those things. They choose when to be nosy and when not. To yeah, and it's just like uh, you're not gonna forget your professor potentially having a seizure and making predictions and not about just the, the dark lord. It's the prediction about the dark lord. Like you're not gonna let that go just because a, a creature might be dying soon. So right. like this, I don't know. this does. The thing we're going way long. It's not spoiler. I apologize, but the the thing that I really want to get to about this prediction. The prediction says a servant will return to the Dark Lord. Mm -hmm. It's been chained these twelve years. Right. What? That's a true prediction from a true seer. Mm -hmm. That being said, it's still up in the air as to how to interpret that. Mm -hmm. You're looking at a crystal ball, and you're seeing a big black dog mm -hmm. in the crystal ball, or the tea leaves, or whichever mm -hmm. prediction you're saying Trelawney should interpret. She's seeing what she thinks is a grim. Mm -hmm. It looks like the quote-unquote textbook version of a grim. Yeah. It just so happens that it's the big black dog that Harry's been seeing. Mm -hmm. So... You're seeing something, and it's real, could still be misinterpreted. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But yes, we can get back to it in the spoilers. Okay. But I just find it interesting. So, really quick, uh, the trio gets down to Hagrid's hut. Yeah. And, you know, Hagrid's like, you shouldn't be here, trying to kick him out. I mean, he's a mess, though. He's He could barely take care of himself. Sure. He's saying he's got uh, Buckbeak out back because he's trying to enjoy the fresh air and uh, all of the things before the, the incident happens. Mm -hmm. And Hermione's trying to calm him down and, and opens up a, a jar or a container. She's making tea. She's making tea. 
And inside is a familiar rat. <laughs> it's Scabbers. It's Scabbers. And he's not happy to be found. No, uh, particularly not by those individuals. <laughs> he seems particularly adverse to being anywhere near Ron. Yeah, I mean, Ron is trying his very, very best to hold on to him. He's like, he won't stay still. He bit him. He's just, you know, going crazy. And as they leave the hut, they hear the jumble of indistinct male voices, a silence, and then without warning, the unmistakable swish and thud of an axe. And it ends the chapter on that. Yeah. It's a good cliffhanger of a... She does that. Yeah. <laughs> I have questions about Scabbers, which we can also get into the spoilers. Let's do that then. Because it's already been a long time in the non-spoilers, so we will be right <laughs> back with our spoiler section. So stick with us. You! You foul and loathsome them evil little cockroach! All right, so we are back with the spoiler section, and we're going to dive right back into the Trelawney prediction mm -hmm. conversation, because I brought up the idea of even though a prediction or a prophecy may be 100% right, mm -hmm. it's still up for debate as to the interpretation, and it could be different from person to person. Mm -hmm. And I, I brought up the, the Grimm and the Crystal Ball from last week's chapter. And in this particular instance, one could assume that could be Sirius Black that she's referring to. Right. And Harry wouldn't necessarily know one way or the other who's supposed to go reunite with Voldemort. Right. So Harry can interpret this as Sirius Black. Mm -hmm. We know, having read the books, and this is the spoiler section, it's actually Peter Pettigrew. Mm -hmm. It's actually Scabbers. Mm-hmm. So, I guess my whole point in bringing that up is Trelawney makes a lot of predictions. Mm -hmm. And she says she sees things in tea leaves. She sees things in crystal balls. And people throw that away as like, she's making it up. Is she? She might not be interpreting it all that correctly, necessarily. She's seeing. She's seeing. Just interpreting it differently. I think this goes back to what I originally said with Talons and Teelees about the differences between prophecies and predictions. Because this is, according to Dumbledore, her second prophecy that she's made. That we know of. But she's made a lot of predictions. And again, I wonder if her prophecies, if she is like specific to Voldemort, type ones because those two that she's made are have been about the dark lord i think to your point right there i think she might be triggered by massive events mm -hmm. which those two would be surrounding massive events his mm -hmm. downfall and his rise <laughs> so. but i mean like dumbledore has said before how like he trelawney could be a danger to herself and just doesn't realize it if if people were to realize that she's made these predictions, these prophecies about Voldemort. Oh, people will come after her. Exactly. So I, it makes me again wonder, like, if seers specifically see big events regarding, like, so specifics. Here's the question I have for you. Mm -hmm. And I'm interested in your answer. I'm very oh, intrigued. Oh, God, I'm sure. So her seeing a grim in the tea leaves in the cup. Mm -hmm. Prediction? 
or seeing? I'm putting you on the spot. I guess I'm questioning what you mean by seeing. Is seeing like like what she just did right here? Like prophecy? I'm s or is seeing is seeing to me would be like you're reading these tea leaves, which is a form of divination. Mm -hmm. Crystal ball is a form of divination. So like capital S seeing. Yes. So she has, quote unquote, the sight. Uh-huh. Looks into these tea leaves, which is a form of divining the future, mm -hmm. sees a grim like figure mm -hmm. that's real because it's she's just interpreting it wrong. It's so then what would you define prediction? Predicting, predicting, I would count more as like the, the Neville breaking the teacup thing that's targeted guessing predictions. Or, I don't know if I fully... Unless unless we know that she saw in a crystal ball or the flames or whatever of Hermione leaving in around Easter, that would also be a prediction of, like, a student will probably leave around Easter. Like, but, like, in the crystal ball, if you see a, a grim, if you see a large black dog, you that's what the, the smoke in the crystal ball is telling you. You're seeing that. You're just interpreting it differently. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I don't know if I agree with your definitions. The way I would take it would be more like what she just did for Harry was seen with a capital S. She's done that officially that we know of twice. Prophecies use the full sight. The inner eye is open. I think having an inner eye allows her to see... C with like a lowercase s where she can look into the crystal ball she can see stuff then she interprets it correctly or incorrectly what regardless i think that is like what she used to determine someone's gonna be leaving at easter someone you know lavender's gonna get bad news neville maybe is breaking his cup maybe that's in that level or maybe that's even a lower level of just using common sense but I think, like, because she has the inner eye, she can do better with looking into the crystal ball, looking at your palms, looking into the tea leaves, and actually identifying stuff. And then, yes, has to interpret one way or the other. But seeing capital S is what she uses when the inner eye is completely open. And that's when prophecy mode takes over. I would disagree. I okay. think... Seeing something in tea leaves or a crystal ball is still capital S. It's just not prophecy. Mm. You're seeing things. You're interpreting things. You're divining what is happening or what will happen. Mm. Whereas the other stuff would be more predictions. I think it's just what type of seeing are you doing, but you're still seeing capital S. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I disagree with you. <laughs> shocking shocking i'm standing alone on a hill by myself on every trelawney thought i've ever had uh let I'm us not, know i'm not saying that she's not skilled she clearly does have the skill but i think that her prophecies is when she's being a real seer i think that's what she's defined by but i don't think that's the completeness of it it's an aspect of it let us know. <laughs> Let us know what you think. What seeing with a capital S 
is and what it involves. Uh, clearly, we disagree. <laughs> so let us know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram and uh, just let us know. What else did we want to get to in the spoiler section? Well, what I will say with the vagueness of her prophecy or whatever, like you're right that it, because it's not specific and it can be interpreted. Well, it's vague and it's specific at the same time. Exactly. And it's like with the whole book, like this is probably one of, probably my favorite version of time travel that is portrayed. Because, I mean, like, pretty much everything eventually gets a time travel. Like, let's let's just be real. If, it, if something goes long enough, they're going to include time travel. But with this, I think it works because, I mean, one, the kids don't know what the outcome is. Because they don't actually witness Buckbeak's execution, then they've just assumed he's dead. They don't see it. And if they did time travel to try to, like, reverse it, then I don't think that would be able to work. I think we'd bump into, like, a time paradox kind of a thing. So they are, like, the only one... Dumbledore is the only one who could arrange this because he is aware of the Time Turner being in the school. He's aware of Buckbeak, you know, being executed. But he's also aware that, like, this can be fix and injustice can be you know avoided or, or changed or whatever um but because it's all so vague with this prophecy and because harry hasn't brought it to dumbledore's attention yet because he's not exactly on the whole one-on-one -on -one, let's have chats on a daily basis mode just yet like i think that that vagueness is what is able to make it come true and because I'm an English teacher, I'm reminded of, like, Macbeth. Like, there's the prophecies in there that Macbeth is going to become not just, like, a higher title, but he's going to become king. And the higher title one just happens because it, it's supposed to happen before he's even told it's going to happen. So it's not really a prediction. But the idea of becoming king... He's like, well, does is this just going to fall into my lap or do I need to make it come true? And of course, spoiler alert for Macbeth, uh, he kills a lot in order to make it come true. So with this being so vague, it's not necessarily like they're trying to make the future come true. So many tiny insignificant details have to align perfectly in order to make the future happen. And that's why prophecies, real prophecies, are so rare. I mean, if Hermione hadn't gotten the cloak, then they wouldn't have gone down to Hagrid's hut. They wouldn't have been there to find Scabbers. And if they hadn't found Scabbers, then, like, you know, who knows? So many things that make this prophecy come true would not have happened. And, I mean, Harry eventually later on, you know, comments on that with Dumbledore. And he's like, yeah, you know, that's why divination it's such a tricky subject the future is is so it's always moving right and for it to become aligned the way it does is just like ooh, that's why i like it so much it's always moving but it's it's that argument of like fate almost mm -hmm. it's like no matter what you do mm -hmm. or which route you end up taking it's you'll ultimately end here right so that's kind of what a prophecy is except this is also like I said, it's vague, except if you know it. 
if you know the answer, right. it's actually extremely specific. Right. I, mean, I mean, she <laughs> so. specifies, you know, Voldemort's been alone and friendless. We know that. He's been abandoned, right, because everyone thinks he's dead. His servant, Pettigrew, has been chained these 12 years. He's been living with the Weasleys. He's too afraid to, you know, leave them and, and be outed as a traitor to brought the downfall to Voldemort or something like that. But he's going to break free. He's going to rejoin them. He's going to rise again with his servant's aid. We know Pettigrew donates, kind of, his, his hand. Um, he's going to be greater and more terrible than ever before. So that's the thing. If you're Harry, and I know that stuff happens right after this, <laughs> but you'd have to have the thought or the fear that runs through you mm-hmm. that it's like, if this is a true, if this is a true prophecy, mm-hmm. and she's making like a real one, mm-hmm. that's alarming because it would theoretically come true, and she's right. talking about the Dark Lord rising again, right? <laughs> And I think, too, just because it's, it happens so quickly, that that's part of why it's like, wait, what did I just hear? The Dark Lord? It's gonna, he's going to rise again, and the servant's going to join in? Like, it's, it's, it's such a quick thing. And to really process it takes time. And like you said, he, he doesn't have the time to process it right now. But we know his own prediction later on. He has to go through that, like, line by line with Dumbledore. Like, what does this mean? Tell me. And please, like, interpret this for me because this is my life on the line. This is the Dark Lord rising again. It's a it's a very scary thing, um, which he's, he just can't process right now. So it's interesting when we do get to see it come true and be like, oh, look how the future aligns itself. The point is, <laughs> the area of divination is tricky. Mm-hmm. It's not all straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's real. Yeah. It is a thing. Yeah. Whether people like it or not, it, it is a thing. And it is clearly a factor in this whole series. So, plays a big role. And Trelawney, whether you like it or not, uh, plays a big role in this series. <laughs> So, well, I know they tried to cut her out of the movies because they didn't like her, and they were like, "No, we gotta have Trelawney. It's it's kind of a, she's kind of a big deal." <laughs> um. So, uh, before we get too long in the spoiler section, I did want to go back to Scabbers. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's my thing about Scabbers. Where has he been all this time? And for what purpose is he in Hager's hut? Well, I know he he fled. He knows Sirius is after him, because Sirius knows his That's disguise. fine. We're talking like mm, a couple of months here have passed, yeah? Have they been months? When was when was it? When did uh? It's been at least weeks. When did Ron at get attacked? At the very least, weeks. Because I feel when when Sirius broke into the Gryffindor Tower, Peter alone realized he's after me, so. That's probably when he fled. And then... Even though you're a small rat, you're not taking weeks to get out of the camp. I mean, he he would probably want to be some... Maybe he was, like, in the kitchen so he could still be fed. Maybe. Uh, Dungeons? Get away from... Just, I mean, pretty much he has to avoid Mrs. Norris. Yeah. And the big black dog and, and Crookshanks. But, and then you... And, but then and he, Ron. But then he ends up... 
Like, what journey has he been on <laughs> that he's been running for whatever you want? Even days. Even days. Days, weeks, months, whatever. Yeah. But he's been on the run after being attacked. And he ends up in Hagrid's hut. Now, this is a stretch and I don't fully believe it myself. But do you think he was in Hagrid's hut because he knew there was going to be, like, outsiders from the ministry there? Like... Like, someone I could escape with. Like, clearly Hogwarts right now is not a safe place. So if I snuck my way into Fudge's bag or something, and it was like, That's take a stretch. it away. That's what I'm saying. It's a piece of a stretch. But I'm like... not giving Pettigrew that. <laughs> I'm not giving him that. Yeah. Just there to hear, like, Fudge, like, what Fudge has to say. If there's any news of something. I don't know. I, because how do you hear that? Or maybe it's just because Hagrid will take care of any living creature that he comes across. And I'm not even saying, like, <laughs> the, the purpose of Pettigrew being a rat is multifaceted. It's mm-hmm. yes to, to get the thing on the Whomping Willow, the not on the Whomping Willow. Right. But also it's for <laughs> espionage. Right. <laughs> like, it's to hide in plain sight. Right, he's a rat. Yeah. So he can hear things. But then you, to hear things, you still have to be in the spot to hear it and... That's a lot of things well, lining up appropriately. We know Dumbledore goes and visits um, Hagrid. Maybe he thinks Dumbledore will have something interesting to listen to. I don't know. My point is, like, this is awfully random to, to find scabbers. It's like, where, what well, has he been doing? especially since he knows that Ron, Harry, and Hermione visit all the time. I don't know. I just caught it. This, this read. This is the only read I've ever thought that. But I'm just like... What? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, uh, do we have anything else on the spoiler front? So lucky Dumbledore came down. Because Dumbledore, like, I mean, he he made, you know, the chapter of Hermione's secret be able to become a thing. He delays them enough. He, yeah, he draws their attention to certain things. Uh, it's just like once again Dumbledore seeming to know more than he lets on, but can he? I don't know. We'll talk more about it in upcoming chapters. Yeah. But you know, Dumbledore's Dumbledore. <laughs> he, he's always got an ace up his proverbial cloak. <laughs> maybe so, he's got a crystal ball. We have no idea. Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe his <laughs> secret talent is actually divination. Who knows? <laughs> Anyway, um, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, so we will end it here. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Let us know again. Thoughts on Trelawney, thoughts on her prediction, thoughts on seeing what exactly qualifies <laughs> as seeing, capital S, or not. Um, let us know. Give us your feedback. It's been great to hear from all of you who have uh, been listening and interacting on Twitter and Instagram. So we're thankful for that. For Elizabeth, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.